31 weeks we have been in this series called The Story. I've enjoyed it. I hope you have. I hope you've learned and grown through it. Uh, I know there were at least three or four sermons out of the 20, 31 that you really tuned into when Jeff was preaching. And so I thank you so much for that. But um, hopefully you've uh, gained along the way, have a greater understanding of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And as we start this morning, there were two gas company servicemen, a senior training supervisor and a young trainee out checking meters in a suburban neighborhood. They parked their truck at the end of the alley and walked their way to the other end. And at the last house, a woman looking out her kitchen window watched the two men as they checked her gas meter. Well, they finished checking the meter and the senior supervisor, feeling a little bit cocky, challenged the younger trainee to a foot race down the alley back to the truck to prove that the old guy could outrun the young guy. They took off running. As they came running up to the truck, they realized that that lady from the last house was right behind them huffing and puffing. They stopped. They asked her, said, what was wrong with you? She's gasping for breath. And she says, well, when I see two gas men running as hard as you two were, I figured I better run too. (laughs) Have you discovered in life that things are not always as they seem? This is our final story of the story. Yes, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You can trail that off now, Sam, because that's all that's up there. So the final, the final story is today, the end of time. We start in those Bibles you had, looking, we're going to be in the book of Revelation, so just go there and stay there. But we're going to start in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. I'll give you a second to find it. You know, the old Jeopardy theme song. Dun, 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 dun. Now, I know Peggy had a hard time leaving Ray, but Kim didn't. So, no, I'm sure he did too, as tough as he is. But uh, she's already found, located a church there, and is there this morning. So, that's all you can pray and hope for, is that they'll keep that part of their life intact. So that their conscience still works. Revelation chapter 1, begin at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This is a book written by the Apostle John. He is, at this point, the last remaining apostle of the original twelve. He's an old man. And rather than kill him, they thought they'd let natural causes kill him. So they banished him to an island called Patmos. Or Patmos. However you want to say it. Uh, And they did that because his faith was so great, they wanted to remove him from influence. 
So God gives him a vision in chapter 1 and verse 1. And in the original language, that vision is apocalypsis. It's two words. Apo, which means pull away, and calypsis means the veil. So God is going to give John an opportunity to pull the veil away so he's able to see. And God's going to pull the veil away so he can see, not only presently, but into the future. Have you ever wanted God to do that for you? So that you could actually see what was going to come up? Oh yeah, we have. But what if He did that? And what if you didn't like what you saw? Would that alter what you're doing in the present? Don't know. Because see, we're not given this opportunity like John. So why was John given this opportunity? Well, he's writing to a bunch of people who are dying for their faith. Much like we're seeing today. And the message of Revelation is a message of hope. I know a lot of people who read Revelation. I used to be one of them. I used to read Revelation with fear. Scared to death. You'd read about this, that, and the other, and this dragon, and that dragon, and this this, uh, calamity, and that calamity, and this plague, and that plague, and... Man, I thought, ooh, I don't want anything to do with that. But you've got to go to the end of the book. At the end of the book, we win. Actually, we've won all the way through the book. But it was a book of hope written to persecuted Christians to say, hang in there. So you lose your life over here. Wasn't your ultimate goal to be with me forever anyway? I think so. Now, I'm like you. I don't want to necessarily punch a ticket right now. I just soon hang around a while. I got these grandkids coming, and I've got to spend some time influencing them in the wrong way. That's my job. That's what granddads do, don't they? They get them all stirred up and send them home. We give them stuff they're not supposed to have so they can bring it home and get in trouble. That's what we do. Now, and I do my role real well. It's going to be harder to reach down to Houston, but I have my ways. I'm already thinking of ways. So John is going to get to see behind the scenes. And what he sees first is a war. And then he sees some letters written to seven churches, specific, real churches. Most of the time, things like this are written to specific churches for that specific time. This, however, transcends time, transcends culture. It's not just for this first century. It's not just for that generation that followed Christ or that preceded Christ's return. It's a message to us as well. And there's a blessing in reading and hearing, he says. But what is that blessing? What is that hearing? There's two things I want you to take away today. Number one, number one, everything is not as it appears to be. That's your first fill in on your outline. Not everything, everything is not as it appears to be. In Revelation 4.1, says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I'll show you what, you, what must take place after this. So we get caught up with what's going on around us in our lower story. 
God pulls back the veil. He tells John to remind us what's going on, however, in the upper story. God is on the throne. He is in control. Jesus is reminding His church in the first century that Caesar may be sitting on a throne, but He, Jesus, is not, or Satan is not sitting on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. John is reminding us that what is true in heaven is the ultimate reality. Because in heaven, God is on the throne, and His throne is at the center of the universe. John was writing to encourage the persecuted church, and the purpose of Revelation isn't to scare us or to confuse us, but to encourage us, as I've said. In the first century, the Roman government was trying to wipe out Christianity. There is an evil movement now among the Muslim faith, the radical Muslim faith, to wipe out Christianity. Will they succeed? Not completely. They might get some of it, but they won't succeed. God will make sure that they don't succeed. Wouldn't it be fun for you and me to see God do that? I don't know how He's going to do it, but it'll be fun for us to watch. But what if they were on our shores? What if they were in our city? Well, they may very well be. I mean, after all, we have an open-door policy in the south part of our country. Amen? <laughs> doesn't matter what your politics are. Because all of them are corrupt in Washington, D.C. I don't care what you follow your name with. They, lo- they lose sight of why they're there. Just like we lose sight of why we're here. See, we think we're here to gain things. We're not here to gain anything. We're here to lose it all. We're supposed to lose everything. Give it away. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you've got to be least of all here. Wow. Wow. But the first century Roman government was trying to wipe out Christianity and those hearing that for the first time had friends who had been beheaded or devoured by wild animals, dipped in oil and burned alive. There was this sense of fear and defeat amongst the persecution and those living at this time and all the apostles were gone. Seems like Satan is winning, the church losing. As was true in the first century, just as is true today, Christians... It's really easy for us to fear politics, economy, terrorism, war, tough times. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to live right now in Ferguson, Missouri. Chamber of Commerce having a hard time getting you to move to Ferguson, Missouri. For people to have to protect their place of business, they have to stand out in front with guns. There's something wrong with that picture. There's something wrong with humanity that says because someone died unjustly, and we don't know all the facts, we, never, we may never know all the facts, but someone was killed wrongly. 
Well, that just tells me I got to go steal from everybody else and burn down the quick trip. <laughs> yeah. Yep, sounds good. Wow. See, it really doesn't matter about all this stuff, and it doesn't matter who's in the White House. How many times have we speculated about the person in the White House being the Antichrist? Bunch of baloney. The Antichrist will bring peace to the region of the Middle East. Every nation in the Middle East will follow under the leadership of one person. You see that on the horizon anywhere? I don't. That's what the Bible teaches. So just open your eyes. Open your eyes. You see, well, it doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter what Wall Street does. The lower story really doesn't matter. What really matters is who's on the throne. That's all that matters. And what really matters is what's going on in the upper story. And so we read about a dragon in chapter 12. A woman who is about to give birth. And we realize there's more to the lower Christmas story than these angels and shepherds. And let's feel good about this moment. Because it says the dragon is hurled to the earth. In chapter 12 or 17, it says, Then the dragon became furious, and the woman went off to make the woman... and with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Here's what's interesting. That's you and me. We're in this story. We're in this prophecy. We're in that statement in Revelation 12. You and I are. (laughs) Some of you wonder why life seems hard. Some of you have had bad experiences at church. Some of you are mad at God. You're disillusioned with Christians. You can't understand why this happens or that happens. How can a loving God do this? How can a loving God do that? I've been faithful in church all my life and now I have cancer and they say it's inoperable and there's no hope for me. Really? There's no hope for you? Is your hope here? Or is your hope there? Where's your hope? Where do you want to go? Oh, or, or have we just said that over the years? Well, I want to go to heaven. Well, the reason all these things happen to us, and the reason confusion runs wild, because Satan is on the loose. He's on the loose. He stirs up people in church. Gets them mad at each other. He loves it. He loves to get us mad at each other. Have you noticed that? He likes for us to get mad about stuff that really doesn't matter. Ultimately. What is it that we really get mad at church about? I could bring up a few, but then I'd get you upset and you'd quit listening to me. But think about it. What is it that fires you up? Is it coming to church and sitting down and singing the songs of praise and honoring an Almighty God that's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end? Is it about the Jesus coming to worship the Jesus who died on the cross for your sins? You were once going to hell and now you're going to heaven. You have a hope beyond all hope. Is that why you come to church? Or is it you come to church and say, well, is so-and-so going to be there? Okay, well, I'll just stay at home then. What are you going to do in heaven when you have to spend an eternity with that person? Because they're going to be just as surprised to see you as you are to see them. 
I mean, hey, let's be honest, right? Chapter 12, don't be discouraged. The lion gets whipped up. (laughs) He gets beat up. Chapters 18 and 19, don't be seduced by the whore. Well, that's some strong language, but don't be seduced by this whore. And here's why. Because God wins. And what's interesting is there's not even a contest. I love it when the Trojans go play certain teams. It's really sad. It really is. It's sad when the Trojans show up to play certain teams because you can already see defeat in the eyes of the other team. That's Satan. When Jesus comes and you stand on the blood of the Lamb, the power of the Word of God, when you stand on that, guess who trembles? Satan does. And he threatens you. And he says all kinds of evil against you. Chapter 19 prepares us for an epic battle, and there's really no battle because it's a slaughter, and the ultimate victory is God. (laughs) It's God's victory. It's our victory. I stood on the mount where off in the distance is going to be the Battle of Armageddon, the the, uh, uh, Mount of uh, Megiddo. Sit on the Tel Megiddo. It's a little mountaintop. And in that valley is where the battle of Armageddon is going to go. And Revelation describes it as the blood running as high as the belly of a horse. Wow. The forces of evil and the forces of good. And guess who wins? Go ahead. Everybody throw your hands up. We win. Well, what if it's my part, part of that blood is my blood? You win. You still win. Do you have your hope on this stuff? Or do you have it with the Lord? Revelation 20. And I saw the dead, great and small, beginning at verse 12, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Everyone will someday stand before God and be judged. Everyone. Everyone. The books will be opened. Deeds, actions of your life will be exposed. For those whose names are not written in the book of life, Revelation 20 talks about a shared doom with Satan himself. But, but, for those whose names are written in the book of life, (laughs) a whole different outcome. 
Eternity with God in heaven is assured for those people. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Now here's what's exciting. We have witnessed four teenagers and two more we just heard about come into the kingdom. We've witnessed it. Oh, God's smiling. Amen. Now, these four young people are going to have perfect lives from now on? (laughs) Far from it. Guess who takes notice of the decision they've made? But guess who has more power? Greater is He that's in them than He that's in the world. Greater is He that's in us, believers, than is in the world. Yeah. See, they can actually say no to sin, just like you and I can. They can actually obey their parents, just like you and I can obey each other. They can actually make their school teachers look good, just like you and I need to make sure our bosses look good. Well, I don't like my boss. Too bad. You need to make the boss look good. That's your job as a believer. It's your job as a Christian. Well, I don't agree with my boss. It's not your business to agree or disagree. It's your business to make them look good. If you don't like it, go find another job. Well, jobs are hard to find. Then shut up and work. Shut up and work. Shut up and change your attitude. Shut up and buck up. Because your deeds are going to be judged, good or bad, either way. So the urgent question is, is your name written in the book of life? Oh, let's jump to Revelation 21. Let's get on past that. We've got to get to 21. Verse 1, Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth was passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, for God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The death and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. What happened in Genesis 3 is about to be undone in Revelation 21 and 22. The curse is going to be reversed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God will make everything new. Four times John uses the word new. New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. Two words for new. Neos means new, more recent. Then there's kanos, which means new, completely new, totally new, comprehensively new, unprecedented, altogether different. That's new. I can't wait to have something new. I want a new body. I've done enough damage to this one. Old age is taking over. Started back when I was born. I just didn't know it. Didn't know it. So what's new about it? What's this new thing? It's new because of who's together. It's new because of who's together. It says heaven and earth are together. There's no separation anymore. Remember how we talked in chapter 4 about John getting the privilege of seeing in, in, in two realities where he was and then plus through the door of heaven? That distinction will no longer be because there won't need to be a door for him to go through or for us to go through. They will all be together. Verse 3 says, Now the dwelling of God is with man. 
In Genesis, God chose to live with His people in the garden. In Exodus, He says, I want to live among you. Build a tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, a perfect cube. But it wasn't enough. In John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and made us dwelling and made, and made us dwell among Him. And He made His dwelling among us. And when Jesus died and rose and ascended to heaven, He said, I will dwell in men. So He sent the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1.22 put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So we know we have an assurance inside that what God said is going to happen. You see how it works? He's dwelling with us. He's in us. He's with us. Oh man, that's great news. That ought to put a smile on your face. Life and fellowship with God is coming back. Completely realized in Revelation 21 where we walk and we talk with Him. And that's really all God ever wanted was us to walk and talk with Him. And it's new because of what's not there. In 21.4, no crying, no pain, no arguments, no anger, no depression, no anxiety, no more tumors, no more treatments, no blind eyes, no deaf ears, no Alzheimer's or AIDS, no pink slips or divorce papers. we got new glorified bodies. Oh, amen. Verse 8, chapter 21, there's no immorality or unbelieving. Chapter 21 and verse 27, there's nothing impure, shameful, or deceitful. Only those whose names are written in the book of life will experience that. Everything that is good here will be perfect there. Everything that is bad here will be absent there. No more abuse. No more lies. What's that? Can you, can you wrap your mind around that? That's incredible. And then the second thing I want you to take away is that everything will be as it was meant to be. At the end of chapter 21, there's a description of heaven. 12,000 stadia, 144 cubits, 12 gates. All twelves shows completion. And what John is doing is using what he knows to describe something he cannot put into words. It's amazing how beautiful, extravagant, magnificent. You come up with the descriptive word. Streets of gold. That's how he perceived it. He saw it. It's all he knew. I don't know if it's going to be real gold. It doesn't really matter, does it? I just want to be there to see it. Anybody want to join me? Amen. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Would you catch how familiar Genesis is with what I just read? You see, it's really just one story, isn't it? Just one story. Revelation 22, Eden is restored. That's been the goal of God all along. Genesis presents the creation of the heavens and the earth. Revelation presents the new heavens and earth. Genesis tells of the creation of the sun, moon, and stars. Revelation tells us there is no need of the sun because God will be the light. Genesis tells of a paradise lost. Revelation presents paradise regained. Genesis tells us that Satan was in the first garden. Revelation tells us that Satan is banished forever from the new garden. 
The tree of life is there again, giving abundant life. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is gone. It was in the garden for Adam and Eve so they could choose whether to embrace God's plan for life or go at it their own way. And you know what they chose. The same thing you and I choose. It's not needed because in this new garden, because those present have already made that choice by accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they've received that offer of forgiveness. And they will sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and not His to come because we'll already be there. We can't finish the song. Who was and is. Mm. <laughs> oh man. Genesis tells of a divorce in the garden. Revelation anticipates a wedding and a feast. I love that about heaven because it's got a lot of eating going on when you get to heaven. Can't wait. Revelation shows God's plan fulfilled. His purpose since the beginning has never changed. His prized creation finally home in heaven. No matter how many times God's people turned away from Him, He kept calling them back until He finally gave His Son as that ultimate sacrifice for our disobedience. Do you see it? Do you see God's continual love and outreach for us? Always wanting us to come back. Always wanted us to be in fellowship. Always wanted us to be, always wanted to be with us. There's a lot of things that we don't know and understand about the book of Revelation, but I agree with Aaron Brockett. I think I put this quote in your outline. When the apocalyptic dust settles, make certain you are standing with Jesus. Make sure you're standing with Jesus. Max Lucado tells the story of when he was growing up and had a friend. Uh, his dad's name was Joe Albright, and Joe had a reputation. He was tough and he was fair, and he was a fearless ranger. He was a, he had this huge acreage on the east side of town, and if you wanted to go hunt rabbits, you better not hunt on his property. He had a son named James, and Max and James were good friends. In fact, they were best friends in high school. Uh, he says in the story that they sat on the bench together during the football season. <laughs> and after out-of-town games, they would spend the night with each other. Well, James invited Max to spend the night with him because it was an out-of-town game. They didn't reach the ranch until after midnight. Well, Mr. Albright didn't know Max. So when they drove up the road to the ranch house, out came Joe Albright. He was in his underwear and he had his huge flashlight because he didn't recognize the car. Well, when Max stepped out of the vehicle, Mr. Albright shined that flashlight in his face and said, Who are you? Max shook so hard that he couldn't say anything. Finally, James, who had not been paying attention, stepped out from the other side of the car and said, Hey, Dad, it's okay. That's Max. He's with me. And when Joe heard the voice of his son James... He put the flashlight down and he said, Oh, well, come on in. Come on in. Why could now Max go in? It's because he was with the Son of the Father. And the reason why your name would be written down in the book of life and you have no reason to fear judgment or the end of time is not because of your good deeds, but because you know the Son of the Father.
And when your heavenly Father sees you in the company of His Son, He'll lower the light of His judgment and welcome you home. Father, I just ask You today that those in this room today will understand the importance of having their name written in the book of life. We take so many things for granted as Christians. So many things. So, Father, I'm asking today that we for a brief moment stop and consider how important it is to have a solid, growing relationship with you. God, I believe with all my heart that a church grows in number when it grows in quality. And so each of us are responsible for the quality of growth that goes on in each of our lives. We go through the motions a lot. But are we really growing? Do we know more today than we did yesterday from your word? Do we read a translation that we don't understand, but we read it because it sure sounds like Bible? Are we bound by tradition and we let it trump Scripture? But you see, the most important part of our growth is that we spend time with your Son. And on Judgment Day, when the books are opened, our pages, though they'll have some things that we're embarrassed about, because we've made some bad choices. But our pages are going to be red. They're going to be crimson. And each page that's turned will be covered by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we're going to stand in the presence of your Son. And you'll be able to say, come on home. Come on home. But God, if there's somebody in this room that doesn't have that blessed assurance, would you stir their heart today in Jesus' name. Amen.